Good morning, beloved. Hope you're enjoying our study through the book of Jonah. Lord willing, we will be here for probably about three more weeks. Um, very encouraged by this book and been have been challenged in my own studies. Uh, the Hebrew in um, Jonah chapter 2 is death-defying, at least for me, because my Hebrew is not all that great. So I struggled with it all week, just looking back over it and trying to figure it out. So you can pray for me as I keep trying to brush up on my Hebrew, which is a good thing. Um, But very thankful for this book and thankful for what the Lord is teaching me through it. And I hope you're encouraged as we go through it. Have you ever had a wonderful bad day? Ever had a wonderful bad day? Today we are going to explore a wonderful bad day for the prophet of God. A wonderful bad day is a day when your whole world blows up, but you find a resting place with your God and Savior as a result of the bad day. It's a day when you are brought to the end of yourself. And you have nowhere to look but to God. And you meet Him in the midst of darkness. He rescues you and gives you a heart of worship in the least likely of places. Today we're going to see Jonah worship God from the belly of a big fish. For Jonah, this was the day he was thrown overboard by the sailors and the big fish swallowed him. It is the day Jonah repented from running from God and Jonah goes from a miserable, rebelling prophet to a poetic, prophesying prophet in the belly of a fish. Today we're going to see repentance leads to worship even in the most horrible of circumstances. Repentance leads to worship even in the most horrible of circumstances. I want to call all of us to consider a life of repentance and faith. We don't have to have a horrible day to experience the joy of turning to God and confessing sin. If right now there is a sin in your hearts, don't wait until you are dying under the discipline of God to turn to Him. That would be important. You don't want to be the guy like Jonah sinking to the bottom of the ocean, in the middle of the ocean, and to find out, oh, I need to repent. It would probably be better to go ahead and turn to Him today. If there's sin in your heart or something that you haven't confessed and turned to God, don't wait. Do it today. Matter of fact, I'll give you one. It's, I've talked to some people about this this week. You know, if a pastor is preaching and you're convicted of a sin or you're hearing the Word of God and you're convicted of a sin... Uh, Don't wait for an altar call because you're not going to get it here. Start praying now. Right now. Right now. Right now. You can look at me and talk to God. That's a wild thought, isn't it? You can be staring at me and have this sin that you're convicted of and the Spirit's working in your heart. Call out. Cry out. Look to Him. Repent now. Don't wait till the end of the service. Don't wait until you get home. Cry out to God now. Because the disciplining hand of God can be very, very 
painful. Don't wait until God has given you a spanking before you confess your sin and turn to Him for forgiveness and restoration. I was talking to some brothers this week about repentance. I, I really believe this is an important component of the Christian walk. Repentance is a daily, even hourly part of the believer's life. We must recognize pride in our hearts and others' sins in our own hearts, including my own. All of us must be looking to our hearts, examining our hearts, and looking for those moments when we think more of ourselves than we should, which all too often is regularly. I promise you there is no one in this room that is not like Jonah to some degree. We are all prone to this pride and ugly thoughts that the prophet had. He hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians. Why did he hate them? He hated them because he thought he was better than them. And therein lies the pride. Oh, I don't know about you folks. I don't know about you. But when I look at our country, I see a country full of prideful people. And unfortunately, I, I see it in myself too. I know every one of us in here are more like Jonah than we ever want to admit. We must recognize pride and these sins that dwell within our hearts. And they rear their ugly heads in our hearts all the time. Anytime we are not grateful and praising God in our hearts, it is very well possible that we could be in sin. Did you hear me? Whenever we're not grateful and praising God, it is very likely that there is sin in our souls. How many of you spent the whole week just praising and thanking God? If you raise your hand, please run. You'll part the place, I'm fairly sure. People will be thinking, oh, Jonah's discipline is coming on you. We aren't a grateful people, are we? We're not praising God every minute of the day, are we? Way too often we take things for granted think we're better than others, judge others constantly. That's one of the reasons why we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount at the same time that we're going through Jonah. Because it brings to light our hearts. <laughs> were you exposed any as we read through the Sermon on the Mount again today? Oh, beloved. Jonah was a prophet of God. A prophet of God. <laughs> He spoke things that were going to happen before they happened. How many of you have done that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> and he is the guy that God spanked and had sinking to the bottom of the ocean on the brink of death. Do we think we're better than Jonah? You know, I hear it all the time. I hear us applying scripture this way. This is how I hear us praying. 
apply in Scripture? All the good guys in the Bible. Or when a guy does something good by the grace of God, we say, see, we have to do what he did. It's all too often we say, you know, the Apostle Paul did this, giving me credence for what I do. But how often are we saying, I am Jonah? I'm like the failures in the Bible. I'm like the ones that mess up in the Bible. Well, beloved, I think we're all real good at applying Scripture to things where we justify ourselves as doing what is right in our own eyes. But we're real slow to examine our hearts and see how sinful we really are. Last week we saw that God's response to Jonah's disobedience was pretty scary, chaotic. God showed Jonah that he was sovereign, right? He was the Lord. He was Lord of not just Jonah, but of everything. And we saw it. And he did it in the form of discipline. He showed Jonah that he was the sovereign Lord. The disciplining hand of the Lord has a way of changing a perspective, our perspective on who the Lord is. God demonstrated his sovereignty over all Jonah and the sailors. He revealed this and his sovereign control in nature, the wind, the storms, the casting of lots and the fish. And he revealed that he was sovereign over other gods. And though the men cried out to their gods, it was Yahweh God who was bringing it about, Jehovah. He showed that he was the sovereign God of sinners. The sailors show evidence of repentance and faith. Isn't that amazing? Wasn't it great to see that God was saving the people least likely to be saved? And if it wasn't for Jonah's disobedience, these pagans who were going the opposite direction of the only message of hope that was going to be given to pagans in Nineveh, they actually hear the gospel. The good news that God is the one who is in control of all and the one we should bow our knees to. God begins now the process of bringing Jonah to repentance. All of that is the process, really. It's building up to this point. Ultimately, God was bringing firm discipline on Jonah for his disobedience. He was doing it to bring about repentance and faith in Jonah. The discipline on the rebellious prophet, prophet had three profound purposes. First, bring about repentance in the sailors. In other words, by bringing about the discipline on Jonah, he also provided a way for the sailors to get saved. Second, to bring about the repentance in the prophet himself. That's chapter 2, which is what we're going to see today. And third, to bring about the repentance of the Ninevites in chapter 3. This week, we're going to look at Jonah's repentance in light of God's sovereign discipline. Now, I think it's so encouraging that God can be working in my life, and when I'm blowing it and... He's disciplining me to get me to turn to Him, but at the same time, be showing His glory off to other people and seeing other people that I'm affecting negatively to a degree to bring them to salvation too. 
Oh, this is encouraging to me. How about you guys? How many times have you blown it and you said, Man, my testimony shot. Said that? Ever said that? Oh, yeah. And you say, I give up. Well, good. Give up. Run to Christ. Repent. Embrace Christ in front of these people and say, Yep, I blew it. I know the God who holds the universe. And I've been sinning against Him. And He is God of the heavens and the earth. And He has provided salvation for me. Not through what I do, but through what Christ did for me. Own your sin. And watch as the world looks at you and goes, Who are you? Who are you? You don't justify your sin away. You exalt the Savior. That's what we need to be, folks. In order to understand this passage well, I've illustrated it with some really cheesy pictures. I'm going to try. I kept them as stick figure as possible. And I did it because I'm not an artist. And because you can drop these little pictures into a document. Don't get stuck on the pictures, the cheesy pictures. I'm just trying to help you follow the narrative because as we go through this narrative, it is confusing. Matter of fact, the first time I preached it, I think I preached it wrong. Oh, you heard it here. I think I preached it wrong. But by the grace of God, I think I got it right now. And we will try to use these pictures to help you understand what's going on. And no, it won't look like those cheesy little Jonah pictures that you see, you know, the little kids that have the, in their Bible with the little fish and the guy, the big whale, right? And everybody's afraid. But it took me a good amount of time just to figure out how this um, unfolds and how it, it flows. So I want you to remember a couple of things about Jonah as we dive in here. Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a prophet that had boldly spoken about God among his people, Israel, uh, to his rebellious people. A prophet who had sinned and he had fled 4,000 miles in the other direction or was headed 4,000 miles in the opposite direction. A prophet who brought great chaos upon some very unlikely sailors on the boat. A prophet who understood he was responsible for the storm as it was happening. He knew it. God knew it. And even the people began to know it. The sailors began to know it. A prophet that was ironically in chapter 1. This is an amazing thing. The prophet of God was ironically exhorted to pray by unbelievers. Unbelievers told him, pray, call out to your God. (laughs) Unbelievers. A prophet that had prophesied of his own ejection and being thrown overboard and then seeing a calm sea. He prophesied that it was going to happen and then it happened when he got thrown overboard. A prophet that repents after the unbelieving crew repents and believes. Again, such an irony here. What's the irony behind it? The prophet of God should be the first to repent. But the pagans were the first to repent. The unbelievers were the first to repent. So let's look back at the book of Jonah. 
The narrator is telling us the story. Now, who is the narrator? Honestly, it's like the book of Hebrews. I have absolutely no idea. If I had to guess, I would say it was Jonah. But he talks in third person a lot. And it could be just like Peter did and how John did in his gospel that he was trying to stay out of the picture. He was trying to stay out of, I got it right. I did finally turn. It's almost like he doesn't want you to know how he got it right by the end. He wants it you to read the book and go, what about me? The book is a, really that way. It's a draw-in for the nation of Israel, his people, and for all of us that read. As you go through the book, you are eventually sucked into the story and you begin to ask the question, am I like Jonah? If you're not, then you've missed the whole point of the book. Because that's his message. So who is this narrator? I have no idea. I think it's Jonah. Maybe writing, writing about this months and years later. We're not positive who he is. But the narrator unfolds the events throughout the book. In verses 1 to 16 in chapter 1, the narrator explained the fall of Jonah and the events of the prophet being confronted on the ship sailing away to Tarshish. So today we start with the narrator explains Jonah being swallowed by the predestined fish. In verse 17 it states, And the Lord, Yahweh, that's God's name there, and Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Here you go, first picture. Who is this? Who is this little guy? Who is that guy? You know who that is? That's the narrator. That's the narrator. This is perspective. I want you to see this perspective. So the narrator's looking down, as you would say, explaining the events of what? Jonah being thrown overboard. Okay? He's explaining what happened. And in verse 17 of chapter 1, it's the narrator speaking, and he says, in a sense, the Lord predetermined a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now again, the narrator's telling the events as if they're all happened. You know, explain this is what happened. He was there for three days. But it's kind of going to rewind and go forward and rewind and go forward. So you're going to have to follow closely or you're going to miss the whole point. What the narrator is basically saying is Yahweh ordained a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish those three days and three nights. There is no running from God even in the ocean. You'll see this. He's in control of the winds, the waves, and the big fish. Next we see... The narrator explains Jonah being swallowed by the predetermined fish. Also, Jonah, the narrator explains Jonah praying in the fish. Now look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said... Okay, now, this is when the narrator has started to tell what's going to happen and what happens inside the fish. Okay, so now we've got the narrator. He's up here, and you got Jonah down here inside the fish. Got it? 
So narrator's talking about what Jonah's doing inside the fish. He's praying inside the fish. And that runs all the way down through verse 9. Through verse 9. So all of this section is the narrator looking on and explaining the events as they unfold. (coughs) You have to remember the narrator is explaining Jonah's prayer in the fish. But understand, Jonah is praying as he reflects back. And again, this is going to be very confusing, so you've got to listen. As he's praying, as Jonah's praying in the fish, the narrator's going to tell what Jonah's praying, but praying while he's praying, while Jonah's praying in the fish, he's thinking back to before, before he's in the fish. You'll see that in a second. So in the narrative, the events Jonah being swallowed have happened. He's praying in the fish, but in this prayer, Jonah is reflecting back on his wonderful, horrible, bad day as he prays to God. So, now the focus changes. In verse 2, it says, and he said. The focus now turns to Jonah. It's all about what Jonah's going to pray inside the fish. Okay? So now Jonah is praying. He's telling what Jonah's praying. So now we're going to shift gears and we're going to see the first part of Jonah's prayer. Jonah's introduction to his prophetic prayer. That's in verse 2. Look at it. Second part, it says, I called out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. This is the introduction of Jonah's prayer. As he's in the whale, he's praying and he's telling and rehearsing what has already happened to him. The first verse of the prayer is a summary of the entire prayer. It's a review of the events in the ocean until the fish swallows him. And that is very important to you for you to note. It is important to note Jonah sees the fish as swallowing him as a rescue. Now, I don't know about you guys, but every time I've thought about the story of Jonah in the, in, in the big fish, I've often thought being in the fish was a discipline. I've often thought being inside the fish, that's a bad thing. Jonah worshipped in the fish. He loved being in the fish. He wanted to be in the fish. What? That makes no sense, does it? How many of you want to be in a big fish? Not any of us. None of us want to be in the fish, right? You want to be in the fish if you're about to die at the bottom of the ocean. You want to be in a fish that somehow God has given air inside this fish and you're able to stay alive inside the fish. And you want to be inside the fish if you're restored with God and you're able to worship Him. This is profound. Look at what he says. Again, I called out of my distress to Yahweh. He's in the he's praying. By the way, that's kind of strange. He's praying and he talks in a way that's kind of third person. I called out of my distress to Yahweh, 
And he answered me. Now you see what? Do it you switch? He switched to now he's directly addressing God. This truth is an understanding. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. I think it's from the point at the bottom when I was about to die. You heard my voice. I was as good as dead. And you heard my voice. When you're in the bottom of the ocean, how well are you doing talking? Not real good. But what's he doing? He's talking about his heart. When did repentance happen? When did repentance happen for Jonah? I believe it happened. Guess when? At the bottom of the ocean before the fish got him. It was, oh, I get it. I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. Save me. First person pronouns run throughout this prayer. It's personal. It's intimate. He's now talking to God as if he's in right relationship with God. I and me, I called out to God and you heard me. So this is exactly what Jonah prayed in the fish. He prays in the form of a poetic psalm. He's obviously repeating the phrases from the Psalms and he intertwines them and I I can't give you every one of them as we go along, but it's interesting to me that a man that is a prophet of God has been meditating on the Word of God and so what happens when he's in a dark fish? What comes back to his mind? The Scriptures. He prays the Scriptures. He's literally speaking praise and gratefulness to God. In the darkest of moments. I don't know about you, but if I was in this fish, I'd be like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. This is scary. But it's not scary for the prophet who has repented and been restored and is resting in the presence of God, even in the midst of the fish, for three days. This is shocking. This is great, isn't it? How many of you have this kind of relationship with God? This is why I think repentance has to be an ongoing thing. It has to be this constant awareness. I need you. And finding He loves me. He died in my place. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I abide in your presence all day long. And when I don't, I need to repent. So that no matter what happens around you, your chaos, your fish, might be the world you live in. But with a restored relationship with God, there's joy in the midst of suffering. There's gratitude. There's gratitude in the midst of hardship. And his prayers are obviously formed full of the Spirit working in his heart, I believe Jonah has already repented. Now, has he, has he been be- become perfect? The answer is an obvious what? No, we'll see that real quick. Chapter 4. He's not perfect. I think we can all learn a little bit about that, can't we? I think all too often we think that when we repent, then that means, okay, I'm now good. 
I'm set. Look at me. I repented. As soon as you say that, you need to repent again. You're not trusting in yourself. Or you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in yourself. Even at that moment. Have you ever repented and then had to repent of how you repented too? What do I mean by that? Your repentance was, woe is me, I'm so horrible, throw dirt on me, look how bad I am. That's still not repentance. Feeling miserable about yourself is not repentance. Do you understand that? Feeling shame over what you've done is not repentance. Repentance is turning to God. A heart change. It is important to note, repentance and faith are not prayers. Hear me. Repentance and faith are not prayers. Genuine, humble prayers are result or fruit of a heart that has changed and turned towards God. Prayers flow from someone who is looking to God and depending on Him. That's why walk and I'll pray a prayer just misses the whole point. Walk and I'll pray a prayer makes it about what? What I do. That misses it. It's about a heart change. Right now, I'm going to say it again. You're sitting here. Is there sin in your heart? Repent. Right now. Look at me in the eyes. Don't worry about what I'm thinking. Call out to God. In your heart, turn to Him. Acknowledge your sin. Don't wait until you're in the bottom of the ocean to repent. Repentance is a change of mind, will, and emotion. It is a turn in our heart from rebellion against God to submission to God for restoration and reconciliation. Repentance implies acknowledgement of our sins and understanding of God's mercy and grace that is available to us. And this is intentionally confusing as we go through this a, a, a little bit. In that, I don't know what happened first. Did his repentance happen first or did the whale grab a hold of him and put him, or the fish, sorry. The fish put him in his mouth. Which happened first? I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to, I can't say for sure. But I can tell you this. It's an awareness that God is just and I deserve the discipline I'm getting but also that God is merciful and knowing that God is a loving God that forgives us. Once that awareness happens, then we turn to Him and we embrace Him. I cannot stress this enough. I cannot stress this enough. I hear repentance all the time. People talk about repentance and even in our circles all the time. But we need to understand something. That without an understanding of both that we are under God's discipline or as an unbeliever, under His judgment, but also that He provides hope. That He has provided a Savior that loves us. It's not without knowing both 
that God is just and the justifier and that He wants to apply those truths to our heart, that real repentance happens. Do you understand me, beloved? You cannot, you cannot repent if all you know is that God wants to whack you. Do you hear me? You cannot. You may shudder. You may hide. But you need to also know God loves you. Now, somebody's going to say, well, what about Jonah chapter 3? It appears that Jonah goes in and says, judgment's coming. And boom, they repent. Beloved, I believe there's more to the story. They had to know. And even the king says it. Maybe God will have mercy on us. How does he get that? Did he just come to his mind? Hmm. This God that I've offended? Uh, no, I don't think he's merciful. No, he had to know that. Somehow God showed mercy and grace. So Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish because he has turned back to God already in his heart. So in the fish, he's praying and praising God for restoration. He's now abiding in the restored relationship with God. And we see this. Jonah then reflects on his previous desperate state. So he looks back. Look at verse 3. And he states, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I ascended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Stop there. That's a desperate state, isn't it? Where was this? When did this happen? It wasn't in the fish. It was Jonah thinking back to when he was at the bottom of the ocean. He's thinking, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. I'm drowning. He starts at the top, notice. He starts at the top of the water. The waves are crashing on him. And he ends with what? He's at the bottom of the ocean and things are wrapped around him. He's in... He's meditating back. He's in the fish. He's praising God. I was in a desperate state. Was about to die. I was good as dead. Jonah states, God, you cast me in the deep. Notice, by now, Jonah's getting it. God is sovereign. He's acknowledging that he is sovereign over everything. Who threw him in the water? Who threw him in the water? Come on. The men did. Why does he say, you threw me into the deep? You cast me into the deep. He's acknowledging that God is working through those sailors. He worked through those sailors to throw him into the deep. That God had worked through himself too. Because remember, why did they cast him into the deep? Because he had prophesied what? Cast me into the deep and it will become calm. So what's happening? He's like, 
whoa, God, I'm just, he's drowning, 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 drowning. Okay, now you can imagine this, right? You're going down, you're going down. What are you, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, ah, give me up, give me in the Lord. He's not. Something's happening to him. He's starting to understand something. He's starting to realize, God, you did this. You are sovereign. You are God. Second, the situation was so bleak that Jonah thought, while sinking, he says, I have been expelled from your sight. It says, he says. I think this means, what it means is, and we do this too, when we say, I, I, I said to myself, I have been expelled from your sight. That's another way of saying, I thought in my heart that I have been separated from you. That you are judging me. I believe this means that Jonah at some point realized as he was sinking that he was going to die. Death was imminent. Yet he still had hope of seeing God one day in the future. And it, this, is, this, this verse blew my mind. And I'm going to tell you what I think it means. I'm not going to be as bold to say I'm 100%. But I think. I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward the holy temple. He's going down to the bottom. Does he think he's going to be rescued there? I guess he could be prophesying of a fish to come. But I don't think so. I think he thinks after his death and resurrection. Now, why do I say this? Well, who was he a prophet to? It was a prophet to Israel, the northern tribes that had left. Where was the holy temple for them? In the south, they had two very unholy temples that they had cows in, in the northern tribes. He wasn't going to go down there unless there was some kind of restoration that had happened. And I think he sees to the very end. I think he says, hey, I'm going to die here. But nevertheless, I'm going to look towards the Holy Temple one day when reconciliation and and resurrection happens. This is what I think. I'm going to die on that hill. He might have been prophesied. But I'm fairly sure that he was at the end of himself. Because then the next verse kind of develops how bad it was. He says, water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I don't know about you guys. Can you imagine? Thrown overboard, going to the bottom, you're down in the bottom, frailing around, and there's weeds around your head. You're at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know about you, but that sounds absolutely horrific, doesn't it? I descended to the rods of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. In other words, I'm right at the brink of death at the bottom of the ocean. That's a desperate state. Would you not agree? But it's at this moment that God shows up. And he reflects on that next. General reflection on God's rescue as he prayed. In verse 6, the second half, But you... But God, but God have brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Yahweh, my God, 
while I was fading away, I remembered the Lord. See, it almost happens simultaneous, doesn't it? It looks like almost simultaneous. God rescues and he goes, yes! I remember, yes! You are Yahweh. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple, into your presence there. I think he's talking about. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Isn't this interesting? Look at this. This is what's happened. So now, he's still thinking, I'm at the bottom of the ocean, but God brought a fish, and he rescued me. What's the great fish? It's not the discipline of God. It's the rescue of God. It's the rescue of God. We see Jonah recognize God rescued him. We see Jonah, Jonah calls God his God in this passage. We see Jonah remembered Yahweh, remembering who he is and what he's done. By the way, listen to me closely. Repentance can't happen without a firm understanding and remembrance of who God is. That he is both just and the justifier, the one that saves. That's what brings about repentance. Repentance does not happen by only knowing God is going to smack me or is smacking me. It's an awareness that God does love me. And I called out. He says, and my prayer came to you. You heard my prayer. I called out to you into your presence. Jonah prayed. Again, the heart's already changed by this even that time. Even though he's in the ocean, at the bottom, he had the heart change as he was sinking. This is some really good news, beloved. At any moment, repentance can come. God can work. And God heard Jonah in his desperate moment of repentance. And God rescued him. What a glorious truth. This is how fast repentance can happen. There's a recognition of God's loving and just character, a heart that remembers and turns to God, a prayer that goes up to God and God hears because he's in his throne room. And a newfound rejection of the rebellion and sin. Those who regard... Now, this is an interesting verse. Verse 8. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. What? Why is that there? Why does he drop this thing here? Well, I think it's just a recognition that Jonah was a prophet of a country immersed with idolatry. He was around a people of what? Unclean lips. And he was what? An unclean prophet. He understood the sinfulness of his people and himself. He includes this, I think. I think to a degree he understood his own idol-making heart. I believe that. Jonah appears to have repented right before his death at the moment of his most desperate circumstances. Now, side note here, I want to warn everybody in the room. Don't think you will get this last moment. <laughs> Please don't think you'll get this last moment. I, I was reflecting on how quick and how unexpected death is. I remember back to the accident I saw a witness with Andrew in the car about a year and a half ago. Uh, I think there were guys that worked at your job site. 
I'm driving down 75, and I look up in front of me, and I see vans and cars going everywhere, just spinning and big everything, chaos. It's not here to the sign almost. Here to the road, you see it happening. And I pull over real quick, and I run down the road. And as I come upon the site, I see a man lying on the ground dead he had been ejected from the van and the car seat was laying on top of him he was gone died on impact impact instantly two minutes earlier he was alive boom he's dead We might not sink to the bottom of the ocean, beloved. If you know there's sin in your heart and you have not repented and trusted in Christ, turn to Him now. That's why He came to die. came to die so you won't have to die separated from Him. There's hope in Christ. And for the repentant believer, the one that already believes... We should not take any sin lightly. None. We should be thinking, check my heart, O oh God. Help me to turn to you quickly. Jonah was a prophet in a country immersed with idolatry. He was a prophet amongst people that hated God. And he was a prophet in rebellion. And God got his attention. I hope this message gets your attention. I hope nobody leaves this place without a full awareness of their own sinfulness and need of a Savior. I am doing my best to preach sinners in the hands of an angry God right now. Don't take sin lightly. But God, he granted mercy to Jonah, didn't he? What a good God. What a gracious God. God has provided an even better rescue for us. He's provided so much better than a big fish. He's provided Jesus Christ, the one who came into the world to die to pay for sinners like me and you. Oh, beloved, run to Christ. He's your hope. Your hope is not in you. You can't do it. You need Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who tasted death so that we don't have to. He was the one that was in the grave for three days, right? He was the one that died for us. Finally, we see Jonah (coughs) rededication to God of his salvation. We see it in verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of what? Thanksgiving. There it is. Beloved, there it is. It's beautiful, isn't it? A heart that's turned 
to God, turn from sin and turn to God is what? Thankful. Thankful. Grateful. Praise God for who you are and what you've done. I will lay down my life is how you could say this. I will sacrifice, probably talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, but with the right heart, because God what? Likes a broken heart more than, a contrite heart more than sacrifice. But his point is, is I'm going to obey in my sacrifice because out of a heart of gratefulness, of gratitude to who God is, that which I have vowed, I will pay. I am committed to you, and what I have committed, I will do. I will follow you. This is what is the result of a heart that has found restoration and reconciliation with God. It is, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul. I will do what He wants me to do. Why? Because He's restored me, and I'm alive, even in the fish. And I will do what you say. Well, go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I think this is his way of saying, in a sense, I'm going to Nineveh if that's where you want me to go. I will go. Why? Because deliverance, salvation is from the Lord. Because God is the deliverer. He's the one that saves. He's the one that loves us. He loves us not because of how good we are or how well we repent. It's because we trusted Him. It's not a duty. It's not an action that saves us. It's our turn to Him and trust in Him. He's the one that gives deliverance. Not us. We can't do it. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. No one, no kids, listen to me. Kids, in the room, listen. You will not save yourself. You can't. You need to cry out to God and ask Him to save you. It's the only way you will be saved. Jesus came into the world to die for sinners like all of you in the room. Turn to Christ today. He is your hope. It is not in how good you are. He is your salvation. And then rejoice in the Lord. And obey Him. When we turn to God, we know He forgives us. We know we are restored into a right relationship with Him. So we are thankful, even in the stomach of a fish. Where's the lights in the stomach of a fish? There are none. That would be a dark place. What do you think? But he's thankful. Oh, how do I survive in this world, God? How do I survive in this world that looks so dark? Right? The answer is, I must see the darkness in my own soul and turn to God first and continuously for as I turn from the darkness in my own soul and find my hope in Jesus Christ alone then the darkness of the world becomes like light to me it does not matter because God is my all sufficiency 
There is nothing in this world that happens to me that can take me away from a right relationship with him. And then, so that was Jonah at the end. He's in there. And that's that last little prayer there. He recognizes he's there because God has delivered him. Finally, the narrator explains Jonah praying in the fish. (coughs) Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. You got to see the picture, right? You want the picture, don't you? There it is. We're back to the narrator. See, the narrator is now looking back down on the scene and what? He picks up the narration again. And the fish, yes, there's some karate chops. Those are obviously not me making them, dropping them in there. And the last one's a sled. Do you see it? That's him falling into the sand there on the beach. What a God, right? What a God that he would take this wicked, rebellious prophet, take him to the bottom of the ocean, restore him to a right relationship with him, swim him around the ocean for three days and three nights, and then spit him him back up on the beach to go and do what he's committed to do. What can we learn from these events? The goal of God's discipline is often repentance and restoration. He wants us to be right with Him. He wants us to abide in Him. He wants us to enjoy Him. The length of which God will go to get His children back is extreme. (laughs) We'll go to the bottom of the ocean. He will take us to the bottom of the ocean to get our attention. We all need to recognize our need for a big view of God and an accurate view of our own sinfulness. I cannot stress this enough. Jonah was a prophet. And yet, he was a rebellious prophet. Fourth, God is working even when we don't Acknowledge it and realize it. What a good God. What a good God. Let's pray.